The ocean on fire. Did you see it? Not just one, but two different places. The Gulf of Mexico, the Caspian Sea in Eastern Europe, calm seas, and then an eruption of flames. Horrific scenes, but thankfully, no one was injured. First, it was the July 2nd eruption in the Gulf of Mexico. A gas leak in an underwater pipe caught fire and led to flames on the surface of the ocean. A wild scene that reminded many people of the Godzilla movies. And then it was July 4th. While the United States was celebrating, the Caspian Sea in Eastern Europe was setting off a different kind of firework. A mud volcano, officials said, causing a gas platform to explode. The blast was seen from miles away. No injuries. Jesus walks on water, whether it's stormy, whether it's on fire. The Lord, Job says, tames the ocean and treads on waves. Our life is in his hand, no matter the chaos we face. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus. And we're in a series called War and Grace. It's Thursday. And all week we've been hearing stories of the Lord's grace even in the midst of the horrors of war. Stories of fighter pilots turning into missionaries, Jewish escapees who found Christ as they hid from Nazis, and now today, a chaplain to war criminals. Henry Garricky didn't just minister to low-level criminals. He was a chaplain to 21 of the Nazis' highest-ranking officials. All mass murderers, all guilty of heinous crimes against humanity, I can't imagine doing what he did. But he found a way. And in the process, this Lutheran minister saw the Lord move, not only in their hearts, but in his own heart as well. Henry's story is a powerful reminder from our Lord that we are more than what we've done. Grace is not cheap, but it does come to us free of charge. The Lord wants to save us and to change us. And I, for one, am so grateful he loves us like that. Stay with me as we hear this amazing story told to us by the late Pastor Don Stevens. He pastored in England. He went home to be with the Lord a couple of years back. He left us a book full of these stories of grace from the world wars of the last century. Stories of how the Lord broke into the darkest places to save and also to restore. After this program, I'd like to send you a copy of this book for your gift to the ministry. As you read it, you'll be encouraged. You'll see how the Lord was at work in these people's lives in the turbulent years of war. Believe me, once you start the book, you won't be able to put it down. So would you call us after the program? Make a gift to the ministry, but ask for the book, War and Grace. Our number you can call is 800-654-2836, 800-65-HAVEN. Or go online, and there you'll find a number of resources like a video we shot with Louis Zamperini and a special blog post about his life. You can experience all of that and make your gift and ask for the book, War and Grace, at haventoday.org. Haven today. Dot org. And now, 
we open the program from our album, Citizen of Heaven, Torin Welts. I was broken, but there was no one that I could tell. Mm. Praying felt like I was throwing pennies in a wishing well. And I started believing I was cursed to carry this weight. I was listing the reasons of why I should walk away until grace called my. Until grace found me Until grace Broke these chains Oh, I didn't know I could be free Until grace found Your grace found me I might be looking at a future full of question marks But I don't have to have all of the answers if you have my heart In you, I'm finding redemption A little more with every breath Brand new like the morning And I'll never forget it until grace Call my name, oh I didn't know I could be free Until grace found me song called Until Grace, opening this haven today. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Henry Garricky was an all-American boy. He grew up on a farm around St. Louis, Missouri, in the early 1900s. In 1926, he was ordained as a Lutheran pastor. We're continuing this series called War and Grace. 
and we begin his story in World War II. Shortly after the attack on Pearl Harbor, Garricky's three sons enlisted, fighting for their side of the war, and Garricky himself decided to become a chaplain. His evangelistic zeal made him ideal to work in a hospital where patients had been wounded in the war and were even dying. He was given a big task. He was asked to go to Nuremberg, where 21 top Nazis, after the war, all mass murderers, were about to be tried for war crimes. Apparently, one Nazi, Raider, had asked for spiritual advice. Now, being a Lutheran and being German-speaking, Henry Gericke was an ideal man to send. When he heard that they'd all been asked what their religion was, he was told 15 had said they were Protestants and six had said they were Catholic. So he had a congregation of 15 and a Catholic priest had the other six. Gericke's memoirs tell us that he was frightened by the task There was nothing to be frightened of in a physical sense because these once all-powerful prisoners were now helpless. It was just the nature of their crimes, the confrontation with the absolutely evil that made him shudder. He had no intention of making light of what they had done. And his orders were to conduct services if the 15 wanted it and to be available for spiritual matters only. Let's briefly meet a few of that strange congregation. There was 54-year-old Hermann Goering, who'd been head of the Luftwaffe and had whose idea of death camps, um, well, it was his idea to start concentration camps. There was 49-year-old Rudolf Hess, who was Hitler's one-time deputy. Field Marshal Keitel was responsible for the deaths of the British prisoners involved in the Great Escape. And more Russians, Jews and Gypsies than anybody could count. 54-year-old Hubert Supremo Dönitz was the successor to Hitler after his suicide. Ribbentrop, Hitler's foreign minister, was guilty of every known war crime. He was even remembered in England at the time as the man who'd gone right up to King George VI and given him a Heil Hitler salute. Willem Frick had gone through the war without a conscience about the terror and extermination he had caused. And Fritz Sorkel was such a disgusting example of the human race that five million people had been manipulated as slave laborers. And then there was Alfred Rosenberg, a bigoted atheist, who fed Hitler's already poisoned mind with further ideas for death and poisonous murder. In a war which cost 50 million lives, here were Hitler's agents of death, 
on trial for their lives. And the question in Gerica's mind was, how on earth are these men going to respond to the glorious gospel of Christ? Because the gospel stood for the very opposite of what they had stood for. Well, in the kingdom of God, special men are often raised up in special circumstances. Now, here was a Christian pastor who was going to meet the most unlovely and unloving congregation any man ever had. Their collective crimes were a blot on the human race. Gerica prayed in private for special grace, and he decided to concentrate on the gospel of the cross. He had 11 months to see if those men would repent. First job, go round every cell and invite them to a chapel service. He made it clear, if they came, he would not be putting in a good word for them at the trial, and their attendance had no significance as far as the outcome of the trial was concerned. First cell he visited was Hess. His religion was astrology and collecting horoscopes. Would you like to come to a chapel service? next Sunday evening, said Gerica to Hitler's one-time deputy. No, if I've any praying to do, I'll do it here. And Hess kept his word. He never attended any one of the 70 services that Gerica conducted, and he never repented. Next cell was Hermann Goering, chief of the Luftwaffe. To Gerica's surprise, Goering wanted to come. Out of the 15 he visited, only Hess and Rosenberg refused to come to the service. Rosenberg even refused the Gospel of John because the chief character in it was Jewish. Fifteen chairs were put out for the service that Sunday night and 13 of the prisoners showed up. As soon as that first service was over that Sunday night, Fritz Sorkel, who had been in charge of Nazi slave labor, asked to see Gerica. He walked into Sorkel's cell and found Sorkel weeping and calling out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Please read the scriptures to me. Gerica was hard to deceive. He was a very experienced soul winner, and he was sure that Sorkel was converted by his visits in subsequent months. Soon, three more asked for Bible study. In May 1946, Gerica was 54, and he was now eligible to go home to America. With permission from the allied officer in charge, every prisoner signed a letter to Mrs. Gerricker pleading with her to let Henry Gerricker stay with them. She cabled him back, please stay on, they obviously need you. By the day of the executions in 1946, nine out of Gerricker's 15 were born again. Gerricker's work didn't stop there. He eventually moved to Milwaukee, where he worked as a chaplain at the disciplinary barracks. Eventually, he left active service 
and became an assistant pastor at St. John Lutheran Church in Chester, Illinois. But he continued to minister at the local hospital as well as the penitentiary. After he went to be with the Lord, a thousand people visited his body as it lay in state at St. John's, and eight thousand prisoners paid their respects when his body lay at the Bernard Penitentiary Chapel. I can't even imagine this. But back to Germany, after World War II. I can't imagine it, standing before 21 prisoners who had just months before been committing some of the most heinous crimes against humanity ever recorded. But Gericke didn't just stand before them. He ministered to them in Jesus' name. He went to them not with a spirit of hatred, which many had toward the Nazis, and for good reason, but he went with a spirit of grace, an outlook on the world that says we are more than what we have done. It's the outlook of Christ. Remember where the Apostle Paul came from? He was an ambitious young rabbi, quickly ascending the ranks as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was zealous for his Lord, so zealous that he was willing to kill anyone he thought was in the wrong. The first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned in Acts chapter 7. And in Acts 8, we're told that Paul was there, overseeing his death and approving. He went from there to getting approval to head north to Damascus. For what? To round up Christians, throw them in prison, even kill them. He was a persecutor of the church, a murderer. Yet on that road to Damascus, he met Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That was the question our Lord posed to him in a blinding light. And instead of condemning him to death, Jesus sent him on to the city of Damascus and eventually restored him, turning him into a powerful missionary and witness to his marvelous grace. Jesus treated Paul just like that German immigrant Lutheran pastor in St. Louis treated those Nazi war criminals. You are more than what you have done. Redemption is always possible. Grace is never too far away. Gericke shared the gospel with them day in and day out, and when he returned to his homeland, the United States, he faithfully ministered to prisoners until he died. You are more than what you've done. No one listening right now is a war criminal on the scale of those 21 Nazis. No one has persecuted the church like the Apostle Paul did when he was still Saul. But we all need to hear this. You are more than what you've done. Those things you've done, those things that gnaw at your conscience, that make you feel unlovable, too guilty to even look to the Lord, too dirty to even approach Him. You need to hear that the Lord welcomes you in the name of Jesus. He doesn't put your deeds at the center of His love to you. He puts Jesus' work on the cross at the center. He loves you. He cares for you. He's with you. The life of Henry Gericke reminds us of this wonderful grace. No matter how far you think you've fallen, Christ's grace is more. 
We may be faithless, but He remains faithful. What do you say to someone who feels like they've lost it all? Over the edge with no one there to break their fall. And what do you say to someone who feels so unloved? Giving themselves away a little bit every day just to be good enough. And what do you say to a hopeless soul? Who can't remember their way home And everything is out of their control There is no valley There is no darkness There is no sorrow Greater than the grace of Jesus There is no moment There is no distance There is no heartbreak He can take you through Nothing greater than grace on a haven today and a program called War and Grace. 
Henry Garricky's life was a testimony to the Lord's all-powerful grace. He saw the Lord use him. He actually found more grace from the Lord in the process. His own heart was changed. He longed to see prisoners set free from their bondage to sin, even if they were never going to see freedom in this world because of what they had done. When we see how the Lord changes lives, especially in difficult times, it changes us as well. No one is ever too far away from the Lord's grace. And when you read War and Grace, short biographies from the world wars, I know that you will be inspired, your faith will be encouraged, you're going to grow in Christ. Thirteen stories that show God's amazing grace over and over again through the eyes of war survivors. I really want you to have War and Grace this July. It'll remind you that the Lord is always at work, no matter how dark things get. Believe me, this is a real page-turner. It'll fill you with hope this summer. Would you call us right now? Would you make a gift to the ministry? And we'll send you War and Grace. You just need to call us at 800-654-2836. That's 800-65-HAVEN. Or go online and there you'll find many resources like a video that we shot with the late Louis Zamperini and a special blog post about his life. You can experience all of that, get the book, and make your gift at haventoday.org. Haventoday.org. And if you'd like to hear our full 30-minute interview with Louis Zamperini, we have that posted on our Great Stories podcast. Look for it at haventoday.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow? When again, we get to share the great story together. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. In the ancient world, when a document was sent, it would be folded and held together by a drop of melted wax. The sender would press a unique marking down onto the wax. When it cooled and hardened, the document would be held together by a wax seal. It demonstrated its authenticity and kept it protected. Paul uses this word seal to describe the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1.13. Having believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. As a believer, your salvation is not vulnerable to the dangers and power of sin. It has been authenticated in Christ's blood, and it is kept safe by the Spirit. You are sealed today and forever. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Visit GetAnchor.com.